This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, if we can get everyone's attention, please. Um, nine o'clock, we're a little bit late. So uh, we open up every every Wednesday night with Nechama um, saying her, her poem. Baruch Hashem, she did it by the Shabbaton, and a lot of people came, out, came to me afterwards and said that their highlight of the Shabbaton who was that lady that said the poem? Oh, so, Baruch Hashem. You, I, you. I, you, I wasn't the lady. You. I introduced the lady. Um, anyway, I went to the AJAP um, convention Sunday and Monday, American Jewish Outreach Program, something like that. But whatever. It was, it was amazing. But what, what, what I found very interesting is I met a lot of people, which we didn't know, Nancy. Um, and I'm giving a shout-out because there are people living in Edmonton, Canada which is a very far from here and very cold. And they watch um, Torah anytime and they watch Ashir on Wednesday night and they know about your, um, about your beautiful poems. Thank you. And people came to me from Baltimore, Cleveland, St. Louis, Brazil, um, Eretz Yisrael, and all over the place um, that they're watching this year. And of course, I promised a shout-out to Edmonton. I also promised a shout-out to Montreal. Um, I just saw the videos of the Shabbaton, Matu Shabbos, and you can see that Montreal was very into it. They were screaming out Montreal, and they brought t-shirts that said Montreal. So um, the least we can do for Montreal is, is give them a shout out by the Sheer, and Cleveland, and Chicago, and L.A. And um, if you can imagine, every time I mention one of these places, there's a bunch of girls jumping up and down. Hey, he said it! He said it! Oh, he mentioned our name! Oh, okay. Whatever. And of course, Brooklyn and Queens and, and, and Muncie and, and Lakewood. So um, we're really, really out there. So, Nancy, these are on, so they're going to pick up what you have to say. Thank you, thank you, Rabbi. Can I tell you what Nancy just told me, even though she can be very embarrassed? No, I was say. What? No, I want it to be personal. You want it to be personal? I, I, okay. I, until I do it. Then, okay. then you can... No, I wanted to say what you're going to do. Oh, all right. Then say. I can say that? Yeah. So Nancy just came up to me and she said, well, I'm very scared, but uh, this Shabbos, have you, ever, have you ever gone to? Never. <laughs> um, for the first time in my life, this Shabbos, um, I want to go to shul. So whoever lives near Ocean Parkway and Avenue C, right? Or Avenue yeah. C? Um, it would be nice if you picked up Nancy for sure and walked you to sure. That would be amazing. But anyway, she's like, you're like, you're like way past all of us, Nancy. No. Wow, you're fine. Okay. Thank you. Let's hear your poem. Quest in a spiritual sandstorm. I searched for you, Hashem, in deep valleys, but you were not there. I searched for you, Hashem, on mountaintops, but you were not there. I searched for you through desert sandstorms, but you were not there. It was only through my surrender and inner quiet that I found you and realized you were always there, everywhere. That was amazing. No, amazing. She's forget about. It. Wow. You wanted to do it again? Yeah. Nancy, why you do it again? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi.
did you ever hear them ask me after I gave a shit? Say it again. Say it again. Quest in a spiritual sandstorm. Hashem, I searched for you in deep valleys, but you were not there. Hashem, I searched for you on mountaintops, but you were not there. Hashem, I searched for you through desert sandstorms, but you were not there. It was only through my surrender and inner quiet that I found you and realized you were always there, everywhere. Beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. If you would have been my English teacher, <laughs> I would have done a lot better. I would actually use big words in my speeches. Okay. Okay. Um, tonight we're learning Lili Nishmas, my father. Rav Yitzchok Menachavish Malakoyin, his yard site is Shabbos, Yud Zayin Shvat. So, um, I definitely would not be here if it wasn't for him. Thank you for writing that for me. Uh, Uh, we have some more names. I know I covered up some names. Hold on. And some announcements. Okay, we're also learning. Ben Miriam, Bas Malka, Chanabat Ayela, Ayela Bat Shendel, Avram Tvi Ben Moshe, Chanchechana Bas Rivka Rachel, Rachel Bas Tura Shanaz, Sima Bat Penina, and Ariel Bat Olga. All right, so they wanted to make three announcements. January 24th. What's today's date? The 19th? 18th? So the 24th is probably Sunday. I'm thinking. No, uh, the tw- 23rd is Sunday. Okay, so Monday night at 8 p.m., you lazy bum. That's the name of the uh, subject. By Rav Naftali Hardowitz. January 29th, meet the Shatchin. Very important. We're, we're very much in our novel right now trying to push Shatchan. So you, you got to take it seriously. We're really working on it. And on January 30th, I don't know what day of the week that is. Uh, Sunday. What? What what's what's Meet the Shabbos. Oh, meet the Shach on January 29th is is Matzah Shabbos, right? Okay, so January 30th is at Sunday night at nine o'clock. Rabbi Eli Monsor, don't miss that. Okay, Mitzvah January the 30th. Yes, that's uh, a week from this. Yeah, it's all on the calendar. It's just in the back of the calendar. It has like the special. You'll never find my name on the back of the calendar. It's only on this side of the calendar. It's on the front end. Right. Okay. All right. It's not where you find your name. It's how you make your name. Right? Not where you find You find in the telephone book. There's one this guy running around screaming that he... I'm in the telephone book? You know that one. Okay. Anyway. 
Tu Bishvat Higiyah. Tonight, not tomorrow night, tonight. Tonight is Tu Bishvat. Holiday for the fruits. So we're going to talk a little bit about Tu Bishvat tonight. Really, we should have had a lot of fruit back there. And I kept intending to go buy it today, but we didn't get to it. Um, so all I have with me tonight is a peach. And we'll, we'll cut it into 120 pieces and we'll give everybody a little bit. Okay, so anyway, let's talk about Tu Bishvat. I talked about it a little bit by the, by the Shabbat Talmud. but I want to talk about Tu Bishvat. What is the deal with Tu Bishvat? Why are we human beings celebrating the new year of a fruit? Um, we don't celebrate the new year of vegetables. In the, there's a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah. And the Mishnah says there are five Rosh Hashanah during the year. There's Rosh Hashanah for the kings. There's Rosh Hashanah for the animals, Maestro Behema. There's Rosh Hashanah for the fruits. There's Rosh Hashanah for the Gaisha kings. There's Rosh Hashanah for the humans. The two Rosh Hashanahs that we celebrate is Rosh Hashanah for us, right, which is Echa Betishrei, and Rosh Hashanah for the fruits. Why do we celebrate Rosh Hashanah for the fruits? Isn't it the, so, the trees? The trees. Well, the trees are the fruit trees, actually. It's not really Rosh Hashanah for the, for, it's for the parents of the, of the trees. So the question is, that's why we have the Shevet Minim. We know that we have the Shevet Minim, the seven species of Eretz Yisrael, Chita Sa'ora, Gefen Te'ena, Rimon, right, Zayis, and Shemen, Chita's wheat, Sa'ora is barley, Gefen is grapes, Te'ena is figs, and uh, Rimon is pomegranates, and Zaysim is olives, Dvash is date honey. So those are the seven fruits of Eretz Yisrael. And tonight, you're supposed to eat um, of those seven fruits of Eretz Yisrael. And we know the halachas, maybe we don't, if you have fruits in front of you, right? Let's say you have an apple and a grape. Which one do you make the ha'etz on? Three. You make it on the grape because it's one of the seven minim. So the seven minim go first. What? The brach, huh? Te'ena is a fig. No, it's the It's all ha'etz. All the, the, the rimon is ha'etz, the te'ena is ha'etz, all the, all the, 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 the shoshana for trees, like the vegetable, in other words, some people, when they, when they have a tubishvat party, right? So my meeting in our house was to have 15 fruits. But they make the mistake and they have watermelon and cantaloupe and bananas. Those are not fruits. Anything you make a hadama is not a fruit. So it has to be a boy priya eights. Anything that you make a boy priya eights on. Um, so, so the question is, why do we celebrate this holiday of Tu Bishvat? Now, the mission says like this, that there's a machlokas. There's an argument when the holiday, the Rosh Hashanah, for trees are. One, Beis Shammai says the first day of Shvat, that passed already two weeks ago. And Beis Hillel says two Bishvat. What are they arguing about? You know? What are they arguing about? What's the argument? First of Shvat or 15th of Shvat? What are you arguing? What's the basis of this argument? Number one. Number two, something very fascinating. Tomorrow in Shul, right? We don't say, ta- we don't say Tachanan. The men, right? Tomorrow in Shul, we don't say Tachanan. Only holidays, we don't say Tachanan. Right? Only on a holiday, on the seventh day of, 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 um, of Adu, when Moshe Rabbeinu was yard site, we say, we say Tachanan. Only on a real Yontif, you don't say Tachanan. What is Tachanan, girls? It's when you stand, you say, Ashabnu, Maganu, Gazanu, I stole, and I, and I did all these Averos, and we ask Hashem forgiveness for all the Averos that we did. So on Yontif, there's no Tachanunim. On Shabbos, there's no Tachanunim. So Shabbos, we don't say it. And the holidays, we don't say it. Why tomorrow, and all the guys are excited because tomorrow is Thursday. And Monday and Thursday, 
is the long Tachron, because we read the Torah. So tomorrow, the long Tachron we don't say. So like people have five minutes extra, you know, they get home five minutes extra. There was a joke about this German Jew who came home um, like eight seconds later from Myriv, eight seconds later than he did every night. And his wife, since they were very on time, his wife said, I don't understand. Why are you home eight seconds later? He said, because we just started saying, instead of the same bracha, the same talamatal of bracha. So it took an extra eight seconds. Anyway, so I guess you have to be there. So, so tomorrow is tachanun. We don't say tachanun. So my question was, why? Why? Because it's the holiday of the fruits. Don't I have to ask forgiveness for my sins? What's the tie-in? Right? It's a, it's a, and the, and the answer Mr. Brewer says, Shukhar says, it's a, it's a yantif. Yantif, you don't say tachanun. But I want to go a step, I want to go a step deeper. So, what's this whole story? What's this whole Rosh Hashanah for trees? So we spoke about that the argument here is, and the Rosh Hashanah for trees is based on the Esrig. And today, right, Tu tonight, in Eretz Yisrael, the Esrig tree, right, it's winter, the Esrig tree, the, the sap, the juices of the Esrig tree start to travel from the roots into the bark of the actual tree. So it's the beginning of the bl- blossoming, even though you don't see it, right, of the tree. It's beginning to come back to life, so to say. So... Rabbi, that's why we make a shefiyano on the, on the esrim. Right. Not, not only that, it's a very big minute to eat tonight, to take your esrim from sukkahs and make it into preserves, right? Not jelly. When you make a jelly, you can't make a boy pre eights on it. So what you do is you cut them into slices, and you pour honey on it, and you make it into like a preserve. But you can't, if you make it into real jelly that you put on your bread, you, it's, that's a problem. But So so it's a minute to take your esri, cut it into pieces, preserve it, and then eat it tonight, make a shechiano. Also, it's brought down all the Kabbalistic svarim, that the man tonight in his prayers and tomorrow is supposed to pray to Hashem to have a beautiful esri this year. So you start praying tonight for your esri. Why? Why tonight? Because the esrik started to grow. Esrik started to grow. Now is when the sap begins to move through the roots. So that's right. So the machlokes between Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel is really, the machlokes is when does that start? It's a physical machlokes. Beis Shammai says the sap begins to move on the first day of Shvat. And Beis Hillel says, no, it takes two weeks later. That's when it moves. That's their, that's their argument. We pass them like Beis Hillel that actually right now started to move. So it's a very big lesson and that's why we celebrate Tu B'Shvat, everybody. And that is that, really, the, the holiday of the tree should be in the summer when it's in full bloom and the flowers are on the tree and, or the apple is on the tree or the peach is on the tree or the, or the pomegranate's on the tree or, or the date or the fig or the olive, right? So now you see it on the tree. You know, you walk outside, you say, Happy New Year, trees. You know, Baruch Hashem. You're looking good. No. No celebration. We make a bracha on a fruit tree when the first flower comes out. Make a beautiful bracha. That a bracha. Look at the beauty, the beauty of his creations. We make a bracha. But, but we, don't, we don't celebrate. We say tachanun. Right? So, so what's this big celebration? And I feel very much it's to teach the human being a very important lesson. That the celebration by a Jew is the potential. Not the realization of the potential, but the potential. 
I'll prove it to you. One of the, you make a wedding, or Hashem, your daughter gets engaged, right? So you make this wedding, and you spend so much money, and you spend so much time, fittings, with schmittings, with flowers, with centerpieces, with an eight-piece band, with, with, with a beautiful hall, and, and catering, and, and flop, you know, all the five different, and, and a great photographer, and, 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 and you have to take videos, and it's $60,000 or $40,000 with a cheap $20,000, but you spend a lot of money and a lot of time. Why? Why? What are you all excited about? You go to a wedding, what is everybody excited about? How do you know this is going to work? In three months from now, they may be divorced. Chas v'shalom. So, but, but you don't know. You don't know that it's going to work. Just because they're under the chuppah together, they have no experience. We don't know that it's going to work. And we see Nebuch today that many times it doesn't work. So what are you spending all this money? Why are all we running and spending six hours of our night dancing like Meshugayim when we don't really know this is going to work? Most people don't gamble $60,000 on a night. <laughs> it's a very good question. Really what should happen is as follows. When somebody gets married, they should get 10 people, because you need a minion, you should get 10 people in a pizza shop. Go to the pizza shop, everybody gets two slices and a soda and french fries, everybody washes, say, Harry Atmakradashisli, the whole wedding, with everything, 40 bucks. Now, at their 50th anniversary, with their children and their grandchildren, and they're still talking to each other, and they're happy, that's when you spend the 60 grand. Because now, they realize their potential, and we all know that it worked, so I don't want to give someone a $180 present for going to their wedding, and then three months later they get divorced, and then they decide to get married again, and i got to give them another 180 bucks, and then they get married again, i got to give them another 180 bucks, and what am I doing, right? I'd rather give them the 180 bucks at the 50th anniversary, then I know it worked. 50th anniversary, we make a nice anniversary in a restaurant, and the family with the grandchildren, Baruch Hashem, and the great-grandchildren, everybody sits around, you know, Bobby and Zadie, they're too old to dance anyway at that point, right? There's no professional photographer, one of his granddaughters has a new cam- a new cell phone, takes a couple of pictures of Bobby and Zadie on the cell phone, kid gets up, and, and they're lucky if they get a cake, you know, with 50 candles in it. That's the big expense. They have to buy 50 candles, 51 candles, right? We don't make a big deal. It's nice, family, but it's $1,000 at the high. So what's the big excitement of a wedding that we put so much work and so much money, but we don't know if it's going to work out? And the answer is the potential of a husband and wife, of a marriage, the potential of a good marriage is so crazy amazing. That's what we celebrate. We don't know what's going to happen. But the potential of what could happen, children, grandchildren, happiness, a bias, nemon, that is such a crazy potential, everybody wants to come to the wedding. Same thing in a bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is the saddest day of a boy's life. The saddest day of a boy's life is his bar mitzvah. The saddest day of a girl's life is her bas mitzvah. The saddest day. Bar mitzvah, we make a party for this kid. 
we get Lipa Shmelza, we get a band, and we, or we take them to Eretz Yisrael for their Bar Mitzvah. We spend a lot of money. It's very important. But what is a Bar Mitzvah? Bar Mitzvah is the day that this kid is 13, and now he's no longer under his parents' wing, and any Avera he does, he's going to get punished for. Kid shouldn't be too happy. Parents shouldn't be too happy. Until now, he can do whatever he wants. His father's going to get patched. Now, whatever he does goes on his cheshman. So that's not a good day for him. Until now, he could play and get away with anything. Now, he has to be put on trillin. And if he doesn't have Aveira, answers his mother back, it's a big Aveira in the next world. And if he lights a fire on Shabbos, the day of his bar mitzvah, Bezdin has to kill him. The day before his bar mitzvah, he walks away free. Why are we so excited about a kid's bar mitzvah? Bas mitzvah? Until now, she wasn't responsible for any of her deeds. Now she's 12 years old, she's responsible for all her deeds. Oy vey. It's not a good day. It's a bad day. The answer is... Potential. By the way, mitzvah boy, yesterday, if he walked into a room with nine men and they needed a minion, he's worthless. He can't do anything. Today, potential of making a minion. Potential is limitless. This girl yesterday wasn't Mechaev and Mitzvah. So we don't call it a Bar Avera or a Bas Avera. Because on the same day that you get your mitzvahs, you're responsible for mitzvahs, you're responsible for averas. So why do we call him a bar mitzvah and a bas mitzvah? He's a bar avera too now. And she's a bas avera too. No. Because we, we celebrate the potential of this girl and the potential of this boy. Judaism is based on potential. Mishnah learned this morning in Pirkei Avos. Don't look at a bottle by the outside because sometimes you have an old outside and inside it's very young. Which means sometimes there are old people who are very foolish. Sometimes you see somebody, oh wow, they're 80 years old, I want to get advice from them. And inside they're very foolish, they're very young, says the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, but don't be fooled because sometimes it's a very young bottle of wine. The outside looks very new, but the wine inside is very old. Sometimes there are young people who have fantastic ideas. So don't just think because they're young that you won't listen to their ideas. It's a mission in right? Don't look at the kankan, don't look at the outside, look at what's inside. So Jews don't look at, at the accomplishment. The, the, the accomplishment at the end, right? That's the problem with many marriages. Many marriages, because of the shidduch crisis today, so, a, so a, a wedding, right, is the goal. My goal is to get married. I would ask girls, what's your goal? To get married. My goal is to find a nice guy and get married. Well, if that's your goal, once you're married, that's it, life's over. You reached your goal. From there, it's downhill. If that's your goal, is to get married, now you're married. So now what are you going to do? So that's not the goal. Marriage, right? Marriage gives you the possibility of reaching your goal. Once you reach your goal, winner, game's over. If you're really enjoying the game and you're playing hard, you don't ever want the game to be over. You want to continue taking more and taking more and taking more and taking more. So, Tu Bishvat is this lesson. You're going outside tonight 
when you walk outside and you scream to the trees outside, they don't have a leaf. They're dead. They don't even have buds on them. They have ice on them and slush on them. They're not happy-looking trees. And we're all walking out saying, Happy New Year, trees! How you doing? Mazel tov. Tonight's your night. They're dead. The answer is they're not dead. Their potential started tonight. And that's what we're celebrating. And in Chinuch, in teaching children, and in being parents, the problem is that we always look at the goal, that, that they didn't reach the goal that I set for them. That's not the godless. That's not the greatness. The greatness is the growth and the potential of growth and the beginning of growth and the changing. It's not when the person is already finished or what they want it to be, but the big move in a person's life is that, is that change, is that one second. We call that, that one moment when the light turns green or the light turns red and you stop and the light turns green and you say, no, I'm not willing to go through. I need to think. I need to put, you, know, you all know my red light story. So, so her greatest moment, in, instead of marrying Vinny in that story and, and becoming a Rav Aral Chassid, the great moment in that story wasn't her going to the shul and becoming from and all that. It was the moment that she made up her mind to change. So tonight, Hashem runs the world. It's exactly what happened right before this year. The greatness that Nancy made Hashem will go this Shabbos to shul, that's very great. But that's not the greatness. The greatness is when she made the decision to go to shul. That was the move. The move was when she said, I was never in shul my whole life. I want to go to shul this Shabbos. Whether she's going to go to shul this Shabbos, it's supposed to snow. You may not go to shul. Maybe a big storm. doesn't matter. You'll go to shul. But the decision to go to shul. Now, had I not told anyone in this room what you told me, so you look like, look every week. Right? Nancy came, she reads a poem. But you don't look like you're going to shul, right? They don't know, they don't see that you made a decision in your life to, to make a change in your life and go to shul for the first time. Nobody saw that. Nobody knows that. But that great decision you made before is that tree outside that doesn't have fruit yet, you understand? But the sap is moving. And once the sap starts moving, in the summer, there's going to be beautiful flowers and leaves and fruit. Rabbi, don't they daven to Hashem that they should have beautiful fruits and beautiful flowers? They daven that. I, I, don't they? I, I don't know that part of the Kabbalistic, you know. I, know. I don't hear them davening. I'm not, I'm not on that level. I know that Rizal, when the wind went through the leaves, so he heard, the, he brings down his Sefer Gugulim that, that trees talk to each other. And that Shlomo Melech was able to understand what they say to each other. And the way they talk is when the wind goes through the leaves, that noise, that rustling that you hear, it's actually a language. But I've been trying to understand them for a long time, trying to get some stock tips, you know, find out what the lotto numbers are, but I haven't been able to understand the trees. I don't even understand humans. I'm going to understand trees. Some humans are like trees. Uh, maybe I understand trees more than humans. I'm not sure, whatever. But anyway, what's the source of what? That they talk to each other? Where's the source of Tuba? Mishnah. Mishnais. Mishnais for Shoshana. What? It says it says on Rosh, it says in the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah that Tu Bishvat the fifteenth day of Shvat Rosh Hashanah Lilanos. That's what it says in the Mishnah, according to Beis Hillel. According to Beis Shammai, it's the first day of Shvat. So, listen to my translation here. Now, what's the tree 
that the argument is about that starts the sap moving on tonight. What tree is that? It's an Esrik tree. What's special about the Esrik tree that no other tree has? The bark tastes like the fruit. When Hashem created the world, thank you very much. When Hashem created the world, so again, this is very, we spoke about it, I don't know if you remember, there's a whole chidah on this. Hashem commanded the trees that their bark should taste like their fruit. But for some reason, we don't understand how a tree cannot listen to Hashem. None of them listen to Hashem. They made a cheshbin why it's better for the human being that it shouldn't. They thought they were doing something good, and all the trees decided their bark will not taste like the fruit. Except the Esther tree. The Esther tree was the only tree that didn't sin. And I have a friend, Norman, who lives in Muncie, and he has an Esther tree. And he told me a few weeks ago that he tested it, because he heard my share um, from a long time ago. And he tested it, and he broke off a branch, and he chewed it. He said, well, Wallstein, it tastes exactly like the Esther tree. So the only tree that really t- that, that, that's alive, that the, the actual branches taste like the fruit, is the Esther tree. So the Esther tree didn't sin... So I'm thinking like this. I didn't see it in a safer, but maybe I'll see it after my shear. When I was preparing the shear, I'm thinking like this. So why don't we say tachanun? Because the reason that a human being says tachanun is to ask forgiveness for its averis. But on, on, on Tu B'Shvat, we can learn from the one tree that didn't do an avera. The only tree was celebrating the Rosh Hashanah for the Esrik tree. And the Esrik tree is the only tree that didn't sin. Therefore, we don't have to say tachanun. Because tachanun is based on doing sins. And since we're celebrating a tree, the only tree that didn't sin, we don't say Tachanon. And on top of that, it's such an unbelievable holiday because it's a holiday where Kleistral celebrates potential. So even if a person did a sin, that he could be forgiven, and not only he could be forgiven, but he could mamish go on in his life. And I want to tell you, I want to read you a Mishnah. This is a very new shir. I never said this shir before. So, it's my father's yard site. It's my father's yard site. Um, and my father, when he was, all of a shalom, when he was, when he became 50 years old, so he learned somewhere that when you become 50, you should take something on. It's a certain point in your life where you should take something extra on in your life that you didn't do till now, as far as Judaism is concerned. So my father was born actually German, um, and my mother, so we're Yekis, and extremely Ashkenaz. Very, very Ashkenaz, as Ashkenaz as you can be, right? We wait three hours, we eat kabroks, so we're really, really Ashkenaz. And one of the things that Hasidim do is they wear two pairs of tefillin. They wear Rashi tefillin, and they wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. Ashkenaz does not wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. There's no, you're never going to see someone in Washington Heights wearing Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin, and Litvaks don't wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. Svard, um, Hasidim wear Rabbeinu Tam and Svardim wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. So my father went to his Rav, Rabbi Horowitz Olam who was actually a Chassidish Rav, who my father was very close to, and he asked him, what should I take on? And his Rabbi Horowitz said, you should take on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. You should start wearing Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. So my father started wearing Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. My father was extremely, extremely strict, as you know, my famous story um, on my little trip to Freeport in the Bahamas. Uh, with my minion story, uh, whoever doesn't know it, you should you should listen to this story on Torah anytime because it's one of the most important stories in my life. And um, he was very mocked, but he was very strict about tefillah but davening with a minion. He was also never spoke by davening. 
he would go crazy if, even as a kid, if I would talk my davening. He was very strict about talking my davening. Now, Rabbeinu Tom's film, you're supposed to put on after davening. So people, most people don't have time, so they actually take off their Rashi film in the middle of Shemona Esrei, and they put on their Rabbeinu Tom's film in the middle of Ashrei. But my father wanted to do it right, so he would finish his whole davening, take off his Rashi, put on his Rabbeinu Tom. Why are you wearing your Rabbeinu Tom? You're supposed to learn Halacha, you're supposed to learn Mishnah, and you're supposed to say Tehillim, and you're supposed to say the Pasha of putting on Tehillim. That's what you're supposed to say. My father passed away, um, actually, Yud Zayin in two days, uh, Shvat, 12 years ago. And I was very, very close to him. So I was the one that stayed up with him all night. Um, and he was in a coma, though he had cancer. From the day he got cancer to the day he died was three months. And the last two weeks of his life, he was in a coma. And I was very close to him, so I was next to his bed most of the time. So every morning, even though he was in a total coma, I would put his tillin on, his hand and his head, and I would say, Tfilos, even though he didn't say anything, he just laid there, but he was in a coma. Anyway, so on Yud Zayin Shvat in the morning, I um, put on his tillin, his regular tillin. I said, I daven with him. Of course, he wasn't moving. I took off his tillin. I was wrapping up his tillin and putting him in his bag, and that's when he passed away. So like, within a minute after the tillin was taken off, because it's, you don't want to make, you, I, I, my father, even though he was in a coma, we know the nisham was there, he would never die with his tillin on, because it would make his tillin tame. So he waited until I took his tillin off, and then he passed away. So I called the Chavar Kadisha, and when they came to take his body, they were freaking out of their minds. They said, in all the years in the Chavar Kadisha, they never saw a man die with tillin marks, because when we put on tillin, you take them off, you have the strap marks on your hand. So Imamish died with tillin marks on his hand. That's who he was. So, we had a pair of Rabbeinu Tam's tillin, his Rabbeinu Tam's tillin, nobody was wearing it. So I decided, even though I wasn't 50 years old at that point, that I was going to wear, from that day on, after the shiva, I put on his Rabbeinu Tam's tillin. So I wear Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin every day, his Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. But because I wear Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin, I have to learn Mishnayis with them every single day. And Halacha. So I started from when, from a long time ago, learning every single day a Mishnah. <coughs> Last week, or so right now I'm in a, a section of Mishnayis called Trumos. Trumos talks about the, the 160th, 50th, or 40th that a person who has a field has to give the coin. So that is very holy. A truma is holy. The only one that's allowed to eat the truma is the Kohen, his unmarried daughters, his family, and, and his servants that he owns. Okay. So it's, I'm not going to tell you boring, but it's very hard stuff. All of a sudden, last week, I come across a Mishnah. It has nothing to do with truma. I'd like to read you this Mishnah because it's very, very important. Now again, the only reason I know this Mishnah because my father, when he was 50 years old, took on Rabbeinu Tams. And now that he's not here anymore, I, I'm wearing his Rabbeinu Tams. So because of that, I'm learning Mishnah every morning. So it's his yard site. He gets the credit for what I'm about to tell you, because I would have never learned this Mishnah. I definitely wouldn't have learned Trumos. It's very, very hard. Very hard. So this is what the Mishnah says. V'chein, Nashim, there's a group of women, a hundred girls. Sha'amru, they're captured. Sha'amru lehem, ayvdekechavim. So these non-Jews, these idol worshippers, captured them and they told them the following. Tenu achas mikem, give up one girl. Give us one girl, willingly. 
Unitame. And we'll do things to her. Do, we'll do bad things to her. I don't have to say the word. But you all understand what they were going to do. They're going to forcefully do an Avera with her. So they, they, these Goyim, they said, listen, you got a hundred girls here. Give us, a, give us one. And that one will save the other 99. We won't touch them. But her, we're going to do what we want with. Not kill her. Just immoral acts. Be in love. And if you don't give her up, if you don't give her up, we're going to physically attack every single girl. So this is your choice. Give up one, 99 walk free. Don't give her up, all 100. We're going to force. So what do you do? Says the Mishnah, Yitamu is Kulam. You don't give her up. All of them become Tameh. In other words, if they're going to attack them all, physically, you have to let that be. You have no choice. You cannot give up a Jewish girl to save the other 99. I think everyone in this room understands that and would agree with that. Even if she wants to. She says, girls, I'm giving it up. I'm giving up who I am. I'm going to go there, let them do whatever they want with me, like, like, like Lot wanted to do with his daughters. Take my daughter, take my daughters, do what you want, but don't hurt the malachim. So this girl says, listen, these are my friends. Let's say there's not a hundred. Let's say a bunch of Arabs captured 10,000 Jewish women. And they said, we're going to attack, we're going to be immoral with all 10,000 of them. Every single them, we're going to take them to the house and we're going to do things to them. But if you give us one, just give us one, and we can do what we want with her, all 9,999 we're going to let them go free, go back home. Says the Mishnah, you can't give up one. They have to, whatever they're going to do, they're going to do, you can't give up one. There's no number, a million, ten million, the whole Klai there's no number. You cannot give up a Jewish girl, says the Mishnah. Yutamo is Kulam. They can all be defiled. Ba'al Yimsru Lehem Nefesh Achas Israel. You can't give up one Jewish soul willingly. Okay. So that was very simple to understand. I think we all understand that. Even if she's willingly to do it, you can't give up some, one girl for another. Nefesh, tachas, nefesh. We don't do that. Okay. Listen to this. The Rashba says the following, that even if one of the women was already a halala, a degraded woman, so what, you have a hundred girls. Ninety-nine of them are good Jewish girls. One of them anyway sleeps with non-Jews. She's not a good girl. And every night, she's with another non-Jew. Willingly. She's a bad girl. And she says, listen, to the other 99 girls. Listen, girls. Tonight, if we weren't captured, I would be anyway sleeping with a non-Jew. Anyway, because that's what I do every night. So I'm going to give myself up, and at least tonight, if I sleep with a non-Jew, I'll save all the rest of you. Can that girl give herself up? I understand the other ones. You can't take one girl instead of the other one, but she's doing it anyway. 
She's doing it anyway. She's been doing it her whole life. She's a bad girl. She sleeps with Arabs. So she says, I'm going to sleep with an Arab anyway tonight. So Yamaz will sleep with an Arab and I'll save you all. What's the halacha? Says the Rajba. And even though she has done so in the past willingly, the group may not surrender her to the Goyim. Why? So the Rajba explains that although this woman was willing to defile herself in the past, in this instance of the transgression, there is no reason we should compel her to sin any more than any other woman. I, she says she's going to do it anyway. Some more have a reason the Rajba. Perhaps, meanwhile, since the last time she did an Avera, she has repented of her previously sinful ways. And therefore, we have to figure that she repented. And since she repented, even though she is saying now that she's willing to do it to save the others, don't believe her. Really, she did tshuva. Really, now, she's a good girl. And the only reason tonight she's willing to sleep with an Arab is to save the rest of you. That's how we have to think. We have to think that even though the tree has no leaves and no flowers and it looks ugly, that there's some life left in the roots. And there's a proof to this from the Gemara. The Gemara says if a boy comes over to a girl and he says, Hare you are married to me, I want to marry you, tzadik. I'm a nas that I am a tzaddik. <coughs> and we just saw him come out of a Burger King, and as he just finished wiping the cheeseburger off his lips, the next thing that comes out of his lips is he walks over to this girl and says, Harry Atmukadeshly, I want to marry you. I'm a nas in order that I'm a tzaddik. Says the Gemara, the marriage is good. Marriage is good. Ask the Gemara, how can you say the marriage is good? He's not a tzaddik. He just wiped the cheeseburger off his mouth. Says the Gemara, we have to figure that the next second after a Jew doesn't have very, he did shuva. It's Gemara. You hear? You have a girl that every single night for the last 30 years is sleeping with Goyim. Now, she says, I want to sleep with Goyim. I always sleep with Goyim. It's my track record. It's, it's, it's my experience. And tonight I want to do it also. And I'm going to save all of you. 10,000 women from being defiled. I'm going to save them. Says the Rajma, no. Because she really did tshuva and that she says she's willing to do it is only to save the other girls. Don't listen to her. You're not allowed to give her up. That's the neshama of a Jew. You're never allowed to give up on a Jew. Because even if there's no leaves on the trees and no flowers, the potential of a Jew is to do tshuva. Every second of his life, his potential is to say he's sorry to God and to be forgiven. And even that evil person, when she says, I want to do this because I do it all the time, don't believe her. She's really good. She's only saying it to save everyone else. What a crazy Mishnah in Trumais. In the middle of nowhere. And I have no Shiloh that I learned it last week. And it can't, because everything you learn for that day is for that period of time is to give me an understanding on how God looks at all of us. That even to save another Jew, you can't judge that a Jew is, is, a, is a bad Jew. I'm going to say it in the way of 
idol worshippers, but you'll understand what I'm saying. My grandfather, Olav Shalom, who I only knew till I was nine years old, went through the Holocaust. And he had a lot, he lived in Germany, and he had a lot of good friends that were Germans. And the one that turned him in to the Gestapo was his best friend, who was a non-Jewish, who was, a, who was, a, who was an idol worshiper, we'll call idol worshiper, idol worshiper German, Nazi. There's one thing that my grandfather that I remember that he taught me as a little boy. Only one thing that I remember him ever saying to me. He called me into the kitchen of his apartment in, on the west side. I was a little boy. And he said, just remember this for the rest of your life. I would rather get a slap from the worst Jew than a kiss from the best idol worshiper. He said, don't ever forget that. Because the worst Jew has the potential of becoming the best Jew. And the potential of the best idol worshiper is what? Is what? So therefore, don't ever forget that. And that's what this mission is saying. This mission is saying, she's a sinner! And she can save all the Beisiakim and good girls! We don't give up a Jew no matter how bad they look, because the sap is always moving in those roots. <coughs> and that's tonight. That is Tu Bishvat. And that is the lesson of tonight. And that's why it's such a crazy yontiv. And all the Rebbes have a Tu Bishvatish. And it's a big, big yontiv. There's no Tachanon. And there's Shechiyanu. Bikimanu. Bikiyanu. What does that mean? Thank you, Hashem, that I have lived to this moment. What, to eat a peach? To eat a star fruit? Thank you that I reached the moment to eat a piece of coconut? To eat a piece of esrig? That I'm, I'm here on Tu Bishvat and I've come to the realization, don't judge a tree by the way it looks. Because there's movement that you can't see underneath the ground and that's the celebration that we have tonight and that's a celebration that every single person has to have within themselves because in Kabbalah a person is called Eitz Hasada that's what we're called we're called the Eitz Hasada the tree of the field and, and, and when the Neshama is called it's called Stehatapuchim the field of the apples we are compared by Shlomo HaMelech to trees now you might get all insulted. Don't compare me to a tree. The answer is yes, we are trees. And the sap starts to move. And in the end, in the end, what comes from the tree Paris? The tree gives, of all of Hashem's creation, the tree gives the most. It takes the least and gives the most. The tree takes from its roots only what's around its roots. It takes the minerals and the water. You don't have to water it every day. In fact, you don't have to ever water the tree. The tree lives by the rain. It's not like a, a farmer who grows vegetables or wheat and he has to have a big irrigation ditches. Trees just sit there and they, they take the water, very little water, by the way, and minerals from the ground. And what do they give? They give fruit, they give shade, and they give wood. And what is the wood used for? Fire and building. There's no thing that produces, that grows, that produces more varied things than a tree. I bet Wilbur. What? 
I vow Buber. I don't know what that means. Buber. He was a Jewish mystic. And? And he said that the tree, when you embrace a tree, you're embracing the universe. Okay. Well, he got that from Shlomo Melech. Because the tree, the tree is, is, is the human being is compared to the tree. There is a book that uh, most of you, I'm sure, have read, which I actually gave a share on called The Tree, and about a little kid and his tree and how he grows up and they cut the branches and they cut everything, and in the end there's nothing left but a stump. And he walks by the tree and he says, so now what are you worth? Right? All you are is a stump. And then he doesn't realize, later on he's a much older man and he's very tired and he's walking through the forest and he needs to rest and he sits down without realizing it on a stump. And then all of a sudden he looks down to see what he's sitting on and he had carved, when he was a boy, he had carved his name and a girl's name in the bark of the tree on the bottom on the stump. And he looks down and he sees that was the tree that he had as boyhood and he realizes that even the stump of the tree, in the end, he needs to sit and rest. So the tree is a representation of something that gives the most. And that's the human being. And that's tonight's Yantif. And that's why we don't say Tachman. Okay. So uh, I think that's a... A lot on, on Tu B'Shvat. It's late. I just want to talk a little bit about the Pasha. So there's two things I want to say. First of all, just a very interesting story. Um, no, we'll save the story for next week, for next time. Okay, so a story I never said here before, a very cute story, because some of you look a little tired, so I'm going to have to wake you up, see if you catch the story. It's a story about Chelm. I'm sure you heard of Chelm. Chelm is a town of fools. Silly people lived in Chelm. The Jewish press used to have stories from Chelm. So Chelm was a silly people. Anyway, so in the town of Chelm, they had a graveyard that was very, very small. And they decided people were dying, they need a bigger graveyard. But the town of Chelm had no more room. There were all houses. Where are they going to make the graveyard? In the middle of the town was a huge mountain. So they gathered all the wise men of Chelm, and they all got together, and they said, where are we going to put the graveyard? So the wisest man of Chelm, the Rosh Hashiva of Chelm, the Rebbe, got up and said, I have a great idea. Tomorrow, all the men and boys, we should go out to the mountain, and we should push the mountain out of town. And after we push the mountain out of town, where the mountain was would be flat land, and that's where we'll make the graveyard. Brilliant. Amazing. Everyone said, that's why he's Rosh Hashiva. Right? Amazing. Brilliant. Okay. So, they go out the next day. It's a cold day. They go out, and they start to push the mountain. And they're pushing the mountain. Of course, you can't push the mountain. And they're pushing, and they're huffing, and they're puffing. And they're starting to sweat, so they take their coats off, and their hats off, and their gloves off. And they're still sweating, so they take their sweaters off. And they're still sweating, so they take their shirts off. And they're still sweating, they take their tzitzes off. And they're still sweating, because they're pushing this mountain like crazy, and their mom is spitzing like crazy, and they take their undershirts off. So here they are, from, from waist up, there's no clothing on. And there's a crazy pile, mamish to shemayim of scarves and coats and hats and jackets and sweaters and shirts and undershirts and sits pulled all the way up to Shemayim. And they're all facing this mountain and they're pushing and they're huffing and they're puffing. All of a sudden comes to this town a bunch of Ganovim, thieves. Right? And they see, amazing, a crazy pile of clothing. So they get a truck, they back it up, they take all the clothing, sitzes, shirts, hats, gloves, scarves, everything, and they pack it into this 18-wheeler, right? And they drive off. Meanwhile, the Chemites, they don't see that because they're not facing backwards. They're pushing this mountain. It's starting to get dark, right? And they, 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 they say, okay, listen, 
We pushed all day. It doesn't seem to have worked. Let's, um, tomorrow we'll come back. So they turn around and everything's gone. And now that they stop pushing, they're freezing. Because they have, they're, they're, they're not dressed from their waist up. They're freezing. So they turn to the wise man who got them into this whole thing. And they say, oh my goodness, wise man, what has happened? He said, amazing. We accomplished what we tried. So what are you talking about? He says, remember this morning we started, there was a pile of clothing behind us? We pushed the mountain so far, right, that the clothing is miles behind us. <laughs> and they're all like, wow, we didn't realize that we succeeded. We thought we didn't push the mountain at all. Man, we pushed this mountain like crazy. We can't even see our clothing. So you can imagine it's a very funny story, right? When they got home, they found out the truth. The mountain was exactly where it was. And they didn't push nothing. They just lost all their clothing. So why am I telling you a story of Chelm? There's a story that Rav Shredron, the Maggid of Yushalayim, used to say a lot in this week's parasha. This week's parasha says the following. It's a little joke. I'll tell you a little joke since I'm in such a funny mood tonight. So it says in Rashi that Yisro had seven names, right? You know, I remember... I once lost $100 because I asked a kid in my class if he knew all seven names, he'd get $100, and he knew it. Right? His name was Ru'el Yese Yisro Chovav Chever Kani Potiel. He had seven names. So the question is, why did Yisro have seven names? One name would have been enough. So we know the Medrash says that Yisro had seven daughters. Tzipporah was one of them. So he had to make seven weddings. After each wedding, he went bankrupt. He had to change his name. Okay. Old rabbi's joke. Right. Okay. So now that we got that out and you're a little bit awake, I'm sure the girls in Montreal really like that. Okay. Um, they have a little bit of a rabbi sense of humor. It's a Canadian sense of humor. And they're like, they're all sitting there, making fun of us. Okay. Anyway, so the question is like this. What did Yisro hear? It says Rashi, what did Yisro hear? Kriyas Yamsa from Chalmas Amalek. The Gemara says he heard, that he heard also um, Kabbalah Satoira, that he heard about, about getting the Torah. Anyway, Yisro Yisro Kohei Midyan. And then it says, Now the question is, Yisrael wasn't the only one in the world that heard about Kriyas Yamsa, and the getting of the Torah. So why are we talking about Yisrael when he heard? So there's a Gemara like this. The Gemara says the following. Tonight you learn Mishnah Truma. Now you're learning Gemara Zvachim. A bunch of Tamide Chachamot. Okay. Listen carefully. So the Gemara says the following story. The Gemara says like this. The world, when the Shekhinah gave the Torah, this week's Pasha, the Ten Commandments, a good week to go to the shul. They read the Ten Commandments. Hashem's voice, when he said, Hashem went from one end of the world to the other. All the kings and all the people of the world got very scared. In their houses. And they started to sing Shira. What does that mean? Because it says in, it says in I think, Perechavtes in Tehillim, Ubehecholo Kuloi Omar Kavoy. So it says the following Niskapsu Kuloim Eitzel Bilam, Harasha. They all got together and they came to Bilam Harasha. Bilam was the leader of the Goyim, the biggest Navi the Goyim had, equal to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? He was their leader. So when the world was shaking and they thought the world was being destroyed, 
Who do you run to? Your leader. So they ran to Bilam and they were very scared. What is this voice that we heard and the whole world is shaking? Is God destroying the world with a flood? Now Bilam knew how to learn. Bilam said, nah, don't worry. It says, Hashem, Lamabal Yashav. And therefore, you have nothing to worry about. Hashem is never going to bring another Mabal. Don't worry, God swore after the Mabal, He's never going to bring another Mabal to the world. So, guys, relax. It's not the end of the world. Amalal, the people said, the Goyim said to him, Mabal Shamayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimayimay
Yisro heard the same thing. But what's the difference between Yisro and everybody else? Vayikach. He took himself. He, he took a step. He changed. He went towards Moshe Rabbeinu, towards Klai Yisrael. He became a ger. There's so many people in this room. No, not so many people. Some people. No, not some people. Some people in this room have friends. And some people that are watching me right now on Torah anytime and listening to me on Kala Washington. How many times did Rabbi Wallstein spoke against Facebook? And they listen. By Yishma, Sarah, Miriam, Hanallah, Esti, and Miral. By Yishma. Good cheer. Good story. I like that Helm story. We think, we think that we can be modern Jews. And we can push the mountain. And look at me, I pushed the mountain. And there's no Torah behind me. Because I'm a good Torah Jew, but I got all this other stuff. I don't need all this old-fashioned sneers business. And the, all these old-fashioned Jews, they don't understand the modern Jew. So we turn around, and it's not right behind us. And we're like, yeah, I pushed the mountain. You didn't push nothing. The Sultan just stole your clothing. That's all. You didn't push nothing. You didn't move anywhere in life. You think you moved up in life because you're a college graduate? You think you moved up in life? That's how you move up in life? You might need it to go to work, but don't think you moved up in life because you have a, a bachelor's and a master's and a master's and a bachelor's and I have a doctorate. Rabbi Walston, I have a doctorate. You think that's going to give you oil and harbor again, eh, then? So if you need it to get a job, to pay your bills, it's very nice. But don't think when you turn around and I'm a modern Jew that you move the mountain. You're still in the same place. So something just, just took your clothing away, that's all. Nothing really changed. So, so many people here, by Yishma, as they say in Yiddish, Meken Herin, Herin, is what makes the difference. Hearing is one thing, but internalizing it, that's a totally different thing. And that's what Yisro did in this parsha. By Yishma Yisro, by Yikach Yisro. Not just coming to a shear for three years and for four years and listen to a bunch of rabbis speak and say, wow, that's cool, I love that story. And then you go like these goyim and you say, very nice, Hashem Hashem, Rabbi Walton, you should be benched. Your family should be healthy. You should live long. Ornava should grow. You know, I spoke about Ornava membership. Long time ago. Months ago. Vino Malkenu. To Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. $75 to be a member a part of Ornava, you'll get it back in the first month or less. I explained it to you. You go to stores, you get $20 here and $50 here, your $75 is paid in one month. Please become a member. We did this for you. And everyone was like, wow, what a great idea. 2,600 women out of Vino Malkana when we explained it. It's now Tubishrat. Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev, Teve, Shvat. Five months. How many members does Arnava have out of the 4,000 girls that are registered? A hundred! A hundred! We had a Shabbaton on the Shabbaton, right, which was $275. If you became a member, you saved right there 30 bucks. You're already halfway through your membership. How many girls signed up monthly Shabbos to become members to help or now to pay its bills. How many girls? Zero. 
Why? Vayishma! Rabbi Wallerstein, our nav is great. It should last forever. They heard about it. They heard we needed help. But there was no vayikach. Nobody took themselves and made a move. $75 a year. Do you know how much that is a week? A dollar thirty? A dollar thirty? A diet coke costs more than a dollar thirty. And we have a hundred members. And we did it for you. Not only for us, we did it for you because you can spend seventy-five and save four hundred dollars a year. So that's the difference between the man who has a parsha named after him, Yisro, and the people that listen and listen and yes, and they t- the guy didn't say, "Oh man," they said, you "Should be convinced." Hashem I'm great, so nice. But I'm going back to the bar because Baruch Hashem, it doesn't affect me. The world's not coming to an end. So I'm just giving you an example of the membership because we were talking about it today and it's, it's a little bit agitating. And somebody came to me and said, you shouldn't let anyone into Ornava to any shir unless they're a member. And I said, no. No, we don't do that. That's not where we come from. And we don't do that. And I'm not interested in doing that. But, but Yishmael, Yikach, you gotta, you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it. You gotta make a move. Not, not an Ornav in anything in Yiddishkeit. You hear about Facebook, you hear about Sneers, whatever you're hearing about. But if you don't move it, then your mama's like those goyim. Your mama's like those goyim. Okay, very nice. It doesn't affect me. I'm going home. I'm different. He's different. My boyfriend's different. Facebook's different. I'm different. You know, that's always the first, the two words that everyone says. He's different or I'm different. That's how the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah takes care of everything. After the whole speech, right, I talk in many schools about Shaminigia and modern schools where they have boyfriends, and I'm like, in the class, and I'm like, you know, this is going to end up in a very bad place, and this is terrible, whatever, I have all my stories and everything, and the girls are like, what a story, oh my gosh, the guys are mamish lowlifes, guys are bad, guys have one thing on their mind, Rebbe Walston, you're so right! You're so right when you talk about guys! You're so right! And then a week later, I call those girls, and I say, no, you broke up? No! Are you crazy? No. I'm like, but you were the one in class screaming, they're such low lives, and they only have... So what happened? I said, I know. Don't tell me. I know. I'm a kobold. I can read your mind. You what? What does it say in my mind? In your mind it says, you're right, Rabbi Wallstein, about everyone else's boyfriend. You're right. But he's different. My chayamo. Rabbi Wallstein, you don't understand him. Yes, most guys are like that. But my Chaim, you don't know him. You never met him. <laughs> Leave me alone. The Torah tells us all men are created equal. Ain't <laughs> apatropus laarius, says the Gemara. You know what that means? Ain't apatropus laarius? That means no matter how old a guy is, no matter how big a tzaddik is, it's a Gemara. Could be Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He can't have Yichud with a girl. He's not allowed to be alone. In a, what do you mean, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, at 90 years old, he can't be alone in a room with a girl? And the answer is, the Gemara says, ain't Apatropos Arias. All men are the same. It doesn't matter. When it comes to Arias, when it comes to immorality, you can't trust a man. Period. It's Gemara. Ever. It's Yichud when you're 90. You can be 99 years old, you still can't be in a room alone with a woman. 
But my uncle, my chayim, he's different. Oh, you know better. The God who created us, he's saying he's not different. You know better. Your God, he's different. He's not different. And Facebook's not different because you have all your protection on it. Because, yeah, it'll be different now, but in a half a year from now, it's not going to be there anymore. Big article two days ago. I love when they come out with these articles. That they found out that the Facebook privacy, they changed again. And they're giving information out to other companies. They're selling information. And that they continuously are changing their protection of people's privacies. So they had a whole big write-up on it. Hey, it's, it's their social network. They can do whatever they want. So even now when you're private, Pastor Shalmi can turn into who knows what. So don't go to a shir and be like these guy in the Gemara. It's very nice. You should be a member of Your family should live forever. Or Nava should continue to grow. Thank you. I need you to give me a broccoli. Or Nava should continue. You should continue to grow. Or Nava needs to continue to grow. Don't walk out of a shir. Or Nava needs to continue to grow. You need to continue to grow. Don't be like these guy that went back to the bar and didn't change their life. You like Yisrael. So we're going to end. Woo, late. Okay. It's an amazing story. There's an amazing Gilgal story. Yeah, we'll tell you the Gilgal story. Y'all are like a Gilgal on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so the story is like this. Unbelievable. It's, it's brought down. I'm not sure if it's in the Zaya or it's in the Arizal. But somebody, a, a very big tzaddik told this to me two days ago. He said the following. Listen carefully. Tzipora, this week's parasha, what happens? Yisro brings Moshe Rabbeinu's wife back to him with his children. So we see from here that Yishma Yisro, Yisro heard Kriyas Yamsuf, says Rashi, and it says that Yisro heard, you see us Mitzrayim. How, why, didn't, why didn't he see it? Because he was in Midian. Who was with him in Midian? Tzipora. Moshe Rabbeinu's wife was not at Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Do you know that? She wasn't at Matthias Mitzrayim. She was living in Midian. Do you know that, that Zipporah, Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, did not see Kriyas Yamsuf? She now came after Kriyas Yamsuf. She missed the two biggest events that happened to Klai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu left her in Midian. She just came back now. Why did Zipporah, Eishas, Moshe Rabbeinu, miss Kriyas Yamsuf? Shira, Miriam, the, great, the closest time that a woman ever got to Hashem, it brings down, the closest was when Miriam and the women walked out and sang Shira after the Yom. And Tzipporah, the wife of Moshe Rabbeinu, missed it. Why? Why? On top of that, we know that from the time that Tzipporah came back now, for the 40 years that Klai Yisrael was in the Midbar, Moshe Rabbeinu never touched her. How do we know Moshe Rabbeinu never touched her? Because it says when Miriam said Lashon Hara on Moshe Rabbeinu. What was her Lashon Hara? Her Lashon Hara was, who do you think you are, Moshe Rabbeinu, that for the last 40 years you separated yourself from your wife. I'm a Neviah, and I didn't separate from my husband. Aaron is a Navi, he didn't separate from his wife. Who do you think you are that for 40 years you didn't touch your wife? How did she know that? How did she know that, that he didn't touch his wife? Because, because Zipporah went to Moshe Rabbeinu's sister and said, you need to talk to your brother. Why doesn't he come near me? Why, you know, why is he any different than anyone else? And of course we know the reason is because Moshe Rabbeinu was a big anov. So he never told his sister or his brother or his wife why he didn't touch his wife. Because Hashem used to speak to Moshe Rabbeinu all of a sudden. Aaron had to go to sleep in a trance. Miriam, had, all Nevi'im had to go to sleep in a trance. But by Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem would just show up in the tent. Hello, 
Moshe, Hashem Moshe, Shalom Aleichem. So he was never allowed to be Tomei at any time. So therefore he could never be with his wife. So he was the only Navi that had to be separated, but they didn't know that, so they spoke Lashon Hara on him. And that's why they got punished. So that Rizal asks, why was Zipporah so punished? She didn't see Kriyas Yamsuf. She didn't see Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And she had to be separated from her husband for 40 years. So he brings down from Ramchaim Vital and say for Gugulim, who was Zipporah? Zipporah was Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Yehuda. Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Yehuda, was married to two of Yehuda's children, Erva Onan. And Erva Onan, if you look in Rashi, I'm not going to get into the Rashi, but if you look in Rashi, Erva Onan did Avera. Both of them did the same Avera, and they died because they did this Avera very young. Who helped them with this Avera? Tamar. And therefore, she had to be punished. She came back as Zipporah, and therefore, since she helped them with that Avera, and that Avera says that Rizal makes a person Tamei, and a person who's Tamei cannot see the Shechina, and we know that by, by Kriyas Yamsuf, even a maidservant saw the Shechina. Every Jewish person saw the Shechina. They said, That's God. They pointed to God. And since Zipporah was Tamar, and Tamar was Tamei, therefore Zipporah could not see the Shechina. Therefore she could not be by Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, and therefore she could not be by Kriyas Yamsuf. And therefore, since she did that Avera, her punishment was that she had to be separated from her husband for 40 years. Which she was Mechabel. But she was Mikabel. She accepted it. And therefore, after she died, she did her tikkun. She did her tikkun for what Tamar did. Says the Sefer Gugulim, who did she come back as? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable how Hashem runs the world. So she did her tikkun. But what did she miss, everybody? The biggest thing she missed was the Shira. So who did she come back as? Devorah. She came back as the Gilgal of Devorah. And the one Shira that we read in Navi, which we read last week in the Haftorah for everybody, was Shira's Devorah. Because she was Misakain, what she did. And therefore, Hashem, you have to know something. He doesn't let you miss out on anything. If you do what you're supposed to, you might have to come back again. But he doesn't let anyone miss out. So since she missed out on Shira's Ayam, she ended up becoming Devorah HaNeviyah, the highest level that a woman ever reached. She became a Navi, and she wrote Shiraz Devorah. What goes around, comes around. What you see is not what you get. That's the Jewish rule. What you see is not what you get. When you walk outside and you see a tree that looks dead, it's not dead. When a girl who did an Avera all her life says, I want to do an Avera, I did it anyway, I want to save everyone not what you get. She did tshuva. We have to figure that she did tshuva. That's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at all of us. And that's tonight's Yantif. So all I can tell everybody is Shechiyanu, Vikimanu, Vigiyanu, Lazman Hazer. Have a very good Yantif. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com